0: hello people and welcome to the people building podcast where today we are going to be joined by the amazing nicole kerr now if you are not a very spiritual person or you are someone who doesn't really engage with um beliefs around afterlife or soul spirit that kind of stuff You need to watch this because Nicole comes at this from um, not just personal perspective, but actually a scientific perspective as well. And that makes all of what she says even more intriguing. Now, before I tell you a bit more about her, I first have to apologise for the delay in service. It's been a while since I've released a podcast. It's not because I haven't been doing them. I have chock loads of them to share with you i just haven't had the time to sit down and edit because i was busy uh graduated so that happened um and yeah lots of other bits and pieces that have completely side swiped me and kept me busy for the last few months but uh let's not talk about me let's talk about nicole kerr so nicole is an author Um, she's a nutritionist she has many different credentials under her belt but the thing that's bringing her to this podcast for you today is her experience on the other side because she has had not one but two near-death experiences however her story really starts much earlier than that because she's from a complex family where religion was a strong undercurrent for both her parents and they had different religions. So that in itself kind of set the stage for how she would later experience the processing of trauma and communication and healing and all of those things that came off of the back of a very very severe accident that she experienced. Now in spite of that, you're going to hear Nicole telling you to stay true to your heart and your soul because as someone who has been brought up around a religion, she had subscribed to lots of rules and lots of fear and part of her recovery from the accident was also around recovery from those indoctrinations that she had experienced as a young person and finding healing not just for her physical body but actually for her emotions and how she was processing information about the world as well i need to tell you that my audio is glitchy on this one i apologize for that i think zoom was not loving me that day Or maybe I just didn't have my microphone set up properly. Um, In the beginning, it sounds like I'm talking over Nicole. I don't think I did do that. I think there might have been a bit of audio delay. Um, And later you'll hear that my voice sounds quite quiet in places, but then it sort of bumps back up. I think actually what it may have been is I might have had the air conditioning on in the room. And so sometimes Zoom has this setting where it will... In an attempt to drown out background noise, might accidentally drown you out too. It could have been something like that. So I apologise for that. But actually, Nicole is an excellent orator. So you don't you don't really need me in this one because she is the one that's doing most of the talking, and she's absolutely the one that you most certainly want to be listening to. So this horrific incident, accident that Nicole experienced, um, she was left she was left for dead as a result of this accident and her memories around it were not retrieved until almost 20 years later so she was left with uh, PTSD anxiety depression and yet she found peace and healing and comfort in the near-death experiences that she had because during that time she met her own angel the character the spirit I'm not sure how to refer to them who told her actually no you're not bailing out of life just yet you need to get back into it because you have an important message to deliver for the rest of your life which is telling other people not to be fearful of death and part of that healing that was to come her way was also around the personal relationships that she has with her parents um, and having to overcome um, the fears associated with their rejections that she experienced as a child and growing up so Nicole's story is fascinating I think you will absolutely agree with me that for someone who has been through such a lot she has such vivacious energy such a like just a beautiful sunlight vibe about her you are going to love listening to her so I will introduce you now to the wonderful Nicole Kerr and I will see you on the other side of this podcast to discuss my final thoughts on this particular show everybody to the people building podcast and today i have a very colorful and very special guest um and this everyone is nicole kurt so nicole has got probably one of the most extraordinary stories of anyone that's ever been on the people building podcast and i think this is going to be one that um maybe opens your eyes, maybe opens your mind. I don't know where this conversation is going to take us, but I am very excited to have her on with us today. So welcome along, Nicole. Please tell us a little bit about yourself to get the ball rolling on this conversation. Oh, well, Jenna, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having
1: me on your podcast today. I am so excited, delighted, and grateful. I really am grateful that that I have your platform to share my message. And you're right, my story is um, unbelievable and it continues to unfold, you know? (laughs) It isn't a one-time event and then boof. Healing, as most people know, is not a linear journey. But my background is, I live presently in um, New Bern, North Carolina, which is Mm -hmm. on the Outer Banks on the eastern uh, part of the United States. I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, which is uh, a very poor state, probably the poorest state in the United States. And I've lived, we just moved here to New Bern, my husband and I, about two years ago. But before that, we were in Hawaii. Um, So we were there for almost, uh, ooh, I was there 17 years and he was there 27 years. So we met and married there. And for all the... All of those looking for people to marry. I didn't get married till I was 40. Okay, so don't give up. Hope that there's somebody out there for you. Just stick to your values and what you want. And everybody said, Nicole, there's nobody in Hawaii for you. I'm almost six feet tall. And they're like, they're all shorter than you. And they all live at home with their parents because real estate is so expensive. But there was Paul. So just believe it really is about intention and manifestation and just Stay true to your heart, your soul, and follow it, and it will come despite the odds, but um, growing up, I grew up in a section called the Bible Belt. That's the whole southern region, so um, church was very important, and that factors into my story a lot because I was raised Southern Baptist, and I was raised Lutheran. My mother was Lutheran, my dad Baptist, and they're completely, they both believe in God, but their definitions of God, their concepts of God god are a little bit different but all of them have rules uh, whether you're catholic or any of them there's lots of rules you have to follow okay so the element of fear gets instilled in you as a young child if you don't follow the rules you're going to go to hell and you're going to be separated from god and your parents so you you grow up in a uh fear based uh society you know essentially but my story really happens when i went from high school into college, and I went to the United States Air Force Academy, and that okay. is one of the sister schools to West Point, Annapolis, which, um, and, a great, uh, and where you are, it's um, a four-year uh, military academy where you come out as an officer in one of the different branches of the military, so my dad had been back in 1960. He was in the Marines. I'm a recovering people pleaser, Now, some of you may know about people pleasing and not, but it really is a myth that it's an identity that will get you somewhere, because in the end, you give up being who you really are. You're giving people your opinion of what you think they want to hear instead of being honest. So you never develop that sense of identity of this is my truth and I'm going to speak it. So It's it's a really hard identity to get out of because we get a lot of, quote, praise from helping others, but there's a difference in people-pleasing and serving others, and I, I, I really want to make that distinction because you serve others from your heart, but people-pleasing can just be, you know, I've got to make mom happy all the time, you know, I can't say no to her. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up. Ple- people pleasing my father i'm the okay. second of four kids um i was a big baby 10 and a half pounds coming out so my dad thought i would be like a, a football player <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, needless to say I wasn't but I wanted to be daddy's girl I wanted his love and affection and all of that and my dad was very much hardcore marine by the book by the rules you do what I say um we grew up very uh I would say protected sheltered uh very much uh had to go to church a lot uh I never dated so here now I'm going to a school with 4,000 guys and I'm not supposed to his rules were not to date, not to drink and not to smoke. His father was an alcoholic. So he said no alcohol in the house and I don't want you drinking. So those were his rules going in there. So I went off and believe me, me, I never in the wildest imagination thought I would go to a military academy because all during high school and junior high, uh, I didn't do anything military related, Jim. I, I did I was a model I was the head of a team board I was in junior team and I was in, in the newspaper you know I, I the rockets that we had the drill team you know I did all these things that would never have prepared me for the military so when I got there um in colorado springs the first three there's six weeks of boot camp you go through and the first three weeks uh you go through then you get a telephone call okay so this was in 1983 they had recently admitted women it used to be all male and so i was in the sixth class of women so there was a lot of men that really resented women still being allowed there a lot of abuse you're gonna just any of them, it's physical abuse, it's mental, it's psychological. And now that you've introduced women, it's sexual abuse going on. So the abuse was widespread. Um, when I got my three minute call to to call home at the middle of the the six weeks, I heard my mother's voice and I absolutely started crying and I could not cry. I mean, I couldn't stop crying for the entire three
0: minutes. So I'm just this- what was your what was your age at that st- that point in time? How old were you? Nineteen. Nineteen. So all, okay. Okay. So all
1: my other friends were up in their 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 universities, partying and fraternities, yes. sororities, having a great time. Yes. And I was, you know, doing the confidence course, the obstacle course. I was doing stuff that scared the living poo poo out of me, you know. Yes. And I I didn't know if I would ever get through it. I mean, my fear of like when they say, okay, you're going to, you know, do this obstacle course. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, I don't yeah. know if you can, can jump that far or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I cried and I realized years later, that was a panic attack. That was the first I panic could. attack I had had that I couldn't wow. even speak. And what I needed yeah. for my mother and my parents was permission to quit, to say, yeah. if yeah. this isn't the right place for you, it's okay to come yeah. home. It's yes. not, it's not, you're not a failure because you want to mm-hmm. quit. But I associated if I I quit, I was a failure and I couldn't right. do that. I just couldn't bear that shame and that um, sense of I'm less than and not good enough because it was so hard to get in initially. You have to go through right. so many tests. So I gutted it out. I did it my first year. And I knew I just didn't want to go back, but I could, Jenna, I just couldn't say dad, I can't go back. You know, so the beginning of my sophomore year uh, there was a squadron event and there was beer provided for all the cadets and, Needless to say, uh, I got there late and I got mm-hmm. the last ride home. Um, I got a ride home with a senior who I really didn't know. And mm-hmm. I uh, he had been drinking, um, but I was like, okay, we just have to get back to the academy. Uh, yeah. And that was maybe 20 miles away. And so mm-hmm. we left and we went to a bar. He wanted to stop at a bar. He was a senior. And I'm like, okay, let's have some fun. You know, I've always had been real restricted in my life. Let's have a beer and let's, uh, Mm -hmm. I smoked my first
0: cigarette, you know, I was trying to. just All the things that dad said, don't do. You basically went to the mall in one evening. I did. And Jenna, then it gets,
1: you know, Um, he wanted to make out at the Rocky mountains, you know, pull off and stop. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in over my head here. Let's just get back to the academy. All I wanted was a ride back, you know? And so he got really angry at me and my memory came back 19 years later of really what happened. But that's the point where my memory initially stopped. And then I never made it back to the academy uh, and wound up in the ICU at a local community hospital. And so I had a gap there from- 7:30 7:30 in in the evening to 7:30 yeah. the next morning when I woke up in the ICU. Okay.
0: okay. So
1: the only thing I remembered was bright, white, clear lights. Wow. That was it. Okay, and and I just never had any memory of anything other than that. So I went through the rehab. I was pronounced dead at the scene. I later learned. All of this from my paramedic coming and seeing me ten weeks later. Medical records, district attorney—I have it all documented in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. You are deathless. And he told me that when he got to the scene, that there were some bystanders who heard it, came out, called nine one one, and came over to look at me. Could not get any vitals on me, so they went and they got a blanket and they covered me up. Mm-hmm. It took uh, right. the first responders. 10 to 13 minutes to get to me. So I was clinically dead for that time period. When (laughs) the first responder got there, he took the blanket off and he went through all all of his motions to see if he could get any vitals and he couldn't. So the last thing he tried was this procedure called a sternal knuckle press, which is designed Uh to elicit pain in the body. And the only thing that happened was my right eye flinched and the pupil dilated. That was okay. it. Right. That, have you ever heard of the saying, your eyes are the window to your soul? Your soul, yep, yep. Okay. My soul had flown out of my body when I went through the windshield when it initially happened, okay? My windshield. soul left my body and my yeah. still body went and fell in a ditch. And so- In order for my soul to come back, which I did not want to do, it came back through my eye. And so at that point, he was able to get a blood pressure of 60 over zero. Now, normal blood pressure is 120 over 80. So you can see how I would still be in the close to death range. Okay. Yes. Multiple, multiple injuries, uh, amputation on my left foot. Uh, I cut a fourth degree l- l- laceration between my anal and sphincter. So huge hole I took out because I went, I remembered later, butt up through the windshield. Okay. Right. And so I had my feet on the dashboard. So sure, yeah. it saved my face. Although I did have a bad road burn from skidding along the pavement. But it okay. basically saved my, my head and my spinal cord. But I broke my okay. pelvis on both sides. I severed my wrist. I mean, I was in bad shape. And I yeah. proceeded to be in the hospital in Colorado Springs for four months, seven weeks in ICU. And there's a whole list of, you know, 64 pints of blood. I was had to have a colostomy, which at age 19, yeah. when I woke up from surgery, to have a colostomy was, what is yeah. this? you know, and nobody's going to want to have sex with me because they're going to see my intestine hanging out and there's going to gross them out because it's grossing me out, you know? So it was just a lot of up and down. Every time I started to get better, something would set in. So my mother did come out for that entire four months and she stayed with me. My dad would come in during a surgery and then he would leave. And then okay. two of my three siblings did come out. Okay. So um, in six, uh, in in the seven weeks that it was in ICU, I had six major operations. Okay. And in one of those, I coded. And I just remembered, not even three weeks ago, that entire series of events that happened in the OR. So oh. here it was 20 years later that I remembered what happened during the accident and now another 20 years I'm remembering the second near-death experience okay and that was caused by um, the my husband and I went to New Orleans and we live in North Carolina and we got on the plane and there was turbulence for the entire hour and a half and I had a panic attack on the plane. So I uh, tried to manage that as best I could, but all I can think of is I'm not in control. I'm seat belted in, uh, I can't get out. I can't open the emergency exit door and leave here. I can't get enough air. I had the air jet on me and I have no control over this plane. And that was how I felt in the operating room when I had to have an emergency surgery where they had to cut me open from the top all the way down to get at these different bacteria, I had sepsis I had gangrene. Uh, I had three other bacteria and they were causing me to get sicker and just real distended and bloated. So I started to code on the gurney on the way to the operating room.
0: Wow. wow. You can
1: read that whole um, blog. I just posted it on my website about, I remembered the details. I could feel them cutting me. I could feel them talking. and, And what happened was my soul didn't it left my body, but it didn't go. It it, kind of was like an out of body experience more than an MD. I sat there and I watched the whole thing and I heard the whole thing. And I really realized that operation, which was two and a half weeks after the initial crash was, I really do not want to be here. I do not want to live my life with now all of these huge scars, this colostomy, they had to do the colostomy in that, or they were going to lose my leg and other areas. Mm -hmm. So it was just, I I just couldn't believe my memory was coming back 40 years Mm -hmm. later. It was bad that it came back 20 years later. But the truth is somebody actually um, questioned it and said, do you have any proof that, you know, from your medical team that this actually happened? Mm -hmm. And I wrote my surgeon in Colorado, and she wrote back, This is an accurate vision. So it just tells me that the body remembers. And yeah. even 40 years later, you can still remember these things. You know, yeah. it's the trigger that causes it. And I had thought I have done so much work my whole life on trying to heal from this Gemma, that that's the last thing that I thought would happen. But I deal with PTSD, I deal with anxiety, depression. And that just hit me out of the blue. I didn't expect the turbulence to do that. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: needless to say, it was all the emotions I was feeling in the operating room because they didn't put me all the way under because they thought they would lose me since I was already coding. So they gave me some muscle relaxant and just a little bit of anesthesia, but um, I did feel it and remember it correctly. And my Mm -hmm. angel, this is the, the part that I think is phenomenal is when we go back to the first NDE, Mm-hmm. I was working in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Centers for Disease Control. I'd gone on with my life. I'd gotten home I got a discharge from the military. They gave me a hundred okay. you know I, I'm a disabled veteran now um yeah. and i uh I didn't I didn't had no concept of what happened and then nineteen years later and you have have to remember I was 19 when the accident happened and then 19 years later, boom, I go into Starbucks, get my usual drink, go to work and on the way to work, I remembered exactly how I was sitting in the car and I had one foot on the dashboard, the other one crossed over and I went butt up through the windshield and I remembered all the details and I remember knowing when I froze up in the air that I looked down and I knew I was going to die And so at that point, an angel came and took me. And in the book, I call it Casper the Ghost, and it was male. I had all the unique identifiers, but it wasn't until after the book was published in August that my angel, my grandfather on my father's side, who happened to be an alcoholic his whole life, he came to me. He was 58 years old when he died, and he died in August, mid-August. So... Boom, in my meditation, here he comes. And I knew it because I was smelling cigar smoke and nobody in my house, you know, smokes cigars. And I'm like, this is really odd. I'm smelling cigars. And then it, my grandfather came and he said, Nicole, I'm the one that came in an angelic form and brought you up. And I was just like, wow, because I had heard with other near-death experiences, people had crossed over and seen deceased loved ones and and you know family members and i just never had that all i could say was casper the ghost you know kind of figure <laughs> so he took me up into to a space it wasn't you know like heaven described in the bible that wasn't the existence it was just up to this space And I remember I could look down. I was not in my physical form now. I'm in my soul form. I could see my physical body lying in the ditch. I remembered exactly what I was wearing and I could see I was dead. And uh, it was just a corpse down there. And he, I could hear other voices around me, either angels, guides, And they weren't speaking English. I don't know how I knew telepathy or whatever, but one of the conversations that was going on next to me that was important for me to remember coming back was that we have angels. Every single one of us has at least one guardian angel and some of us have more and we have to ask them for help. Okay. They're not going to interfere in our lives because we have something called free will. So We need to start establishing a relationship with that spiritual realm, with those angels, start dialoguing and start asking for help and not just in a crisis, you know? And prayer, when you think about it, is energy. And all of us are energy. And what comes out of us when our energy, when we die, our energy body splits open. And that breath that keeps us alive When you think about it on a cold day and you're breathing, you see that vapor. That's what expels that's energy, right? That's what goes on. That's our soul. That's what lives on forever. And that's why I wrote the title of the book is you are deathless because your soul lives on forever. And that soul went up and could see all of this on this plane and also so much more. And it was so beautiful on the other side. I didn't want to leave. And so James, I'm just going to call him James because that's his name. Um, My angel, James. um, After I heard that conversation, I was like, okay, so one of the messages is we need to ask our angels for help and not just in a crisis. And people laugh at me when I say, you know, even for a parking space, you know, ask the angels. They come through every single time, you know. Um so start working with them and and ask them for some examples and some evidence that they are working, you know, on your behalf. They really do want to do that. Um and then James said, "Nicole, you're going to go back." And I was like, "No." Because <laughs> Here's the deal, Gemma. I saw what my body looked like. It was mangled. I knew I was going to be physically handicapped in so many areas. And before that, I had been in the prime of health. I mean, to be at the academy and do what I did. I mean, I was in stud, let me just tell you. Okay. So I went from being able to do that to, I can't walk. I can't even use the bathroom on my own. You know, um, I have an arm that severed, a, a, you know, all of these injuries that I knew I would never, I would have limitations physically the rest of my life. Why would I want that pain and suffering? I knew I was going to have to go back home i was basically in an infant state in terms of uh care my mother was going to have to be there to cook for me and all that cuz i couldn't i couldn't do that so i was going back to jackson mississippi where i was being i was not moving forward in my life to become more independent i was becoming codependent with her and That meant going back to the Baptist church and the Lutheran church and these churches where my experience of God was very different on the other side. So here I am back in this church where churches where God was duality, God is love, God is protecting you, God is you know, all these wonderful things. But if you don't obey God, guess what? The wrath of God's coming on you and you're going to get punishment and criticism and you're going to hell and all these things. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I would go back to that and have to listen to it. And the other part was I knew that I had disappointed my dad and he blamed me for breaking his rules and that i deserved what i got that's his mentality and that was probably the worst part of the whole wreck was to feel like the fracture of my family and the fracture of my relationship with my father in particular he was looking for us for achievement and i just ended that with the accident he never cared about what i really wanted it was always what he thought would make me a better person, look good, whatever, and to follow in his footsteps. And it wasn't who I was and no soul. And I want everyone to hear this. No soul is designed to go kill another human being. And I think that is why in America, at least 22 veterans a day commit suicide, because we are not addressing the fractures in their soul. Their soul gets wounded when they are either shot at see somebody some trauma like that and that's a whole different way of healing than the medical model has you know and that is something that I actually did in 2019 was go and have a soul retrieval done with a shaman but now there's different ways to do that but your soul does fracture in order to protect you And so that's a piece I think that has been is coming on more and more uh, nowadays, but for so many people, they've lost their soul, you know, and they just can't find their way back and they can't see a way out and they just want to leave the planet. And so they take their lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, so anyway, he says, you're going back and, I was like, please, no, I just want to stay up here. where it's so beautiful. And um, he said, Nicole, you have a mission. You have a purpose to go back. And that is to tell people to not be afraid of death. Mm-hmm. Because at least, Gemma, in our country, we have a culture. Most of the books written um, about death in our country are cloaked in this veil of doom and gloom death has a cloud of depression and negativity around it and Mm -hmm. it's just even our halloween here you know it's all about these uh caskets with dracula coming out and scaring people Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah it's a very scary um scenario for kids death is and then if you're raised in a religion that has is fear-based, you're not, you know, and that's how I died at 19. I died in fear that I screwed up and that I was going to hell. And that is one of the reasons I came back because that's not the truth. That was a complete um, uh, lie. It's a a false belief system that I had had bought into, Um, you know, so it's like, I needed to come back and redo it and realize that death, is not uh, going to hell, you're not gonna be separated. Um, It is absolute beauty and it's light and it's loving kindness on the other side. And not only me, but hundreds of thousands of other people that have experienced near-death experiences, they all agree on this. And that's why in the book, I talk about the 10 common um, lessons from near-death experiences and they're all positive. You know, and I'm trying to change the narrative in our country at least that death is a positive experience, even though we're human, we're also spiritual, and yes, we have the human feelings of sadness and grief and all of that, but we need to um and we need to to hold that experience for people, but we need to also look at the cosmic context is benevolence and extraordinary. And knowing that truer context of where uh, our soul comes from and how we keep evolving, um, that is going to enable us to live a happier life here and prepare for our own graceful passing, um, as well as to support others with, um, with their own passing as well. So I hope you know to change the world view the vibration and the cultural misunderstanding surrounding death and to do this we have to start addressing the fears that we are holding so that is my my kind of uh, that's you That's that's my mission that's my mission and I call myself a an internality advocate. And it's, it's, it is a word. William Fogner <laughs> used it in his writings because people are like, you mean eternal. And I go, no, it's internality. And they go, are you sure? I said, look it up. And it means, you know, forever and ever and ever. And that is the truth of our soul is it goes on. This isn't our first rodeo. We go on forever and ever and ever. But yeah. I think your beliefs about God, your concept of God shape. Your relationship with death, and it's really important to look at what is your concept of God not the one that was passed on to you from generations past but what works for you. Because I can tell you, when I was out there praying in uh boot camp, God didn't come through for me, there was no you know changing something, I still got abused, I still got all these things done. You know, I was sexually abused when I was eight. There was no God there to, 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 to stop that man from doing that. So I think there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, God didn't protect me. God didn't love me. God didn't help me, you know? So where is God, you know, because in a relationship, you get some kind of feedback, right? It's not just one-sided. So Where, where's the evidence? Where's the feedback? So I call that a vending machine concept of God, where you put in the right behaviors, you punch the Coca-Cola button and out comes the Coke, right? That's how it's supposed to work. But most of the time you put in the right behaviors, you punch Coke and out comes either nothing or like Mountain Dew, which is not what you wanted, right? Yeah. That, that concept is obsolete. And I'm still on the journey of what is my concept of God, you know, and I think we all are trying to, you know, figure out what do we really believe in terms of uh, a higher source or higher power or something that's greater than ourselves. And when I was working with a little six-year-old girl, I do something called neuroemotional technique which, um, helps get at the subconscious. And she was coming from a fundamental church and she had done something bad and she was told she was going to go to hell and she was scared to death. So scared. She was having to sleep with her parents, wetting her bed. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I asked her, I said, you know, well, what is, you know, how do you see God? And she just lit up and she said, and I'm reading from my book. Uh, God is a blue spirit with colors and balloons in all different colors, no head and can talk. Clearly, this little girl is still having a direct experience with God with no filters from other people involved. And I love that because that basic essence from a child kind of sums it up, you know, Uh, doesn't have a head. It's not a person. It's not personal. And it's energy. And God at the bottom, at the end of the day is love. And love is an emotion, but it's also an energy. There's nowhere God is not. God is not what I was taught is God is not external. I've been searching for God externally. You have to get to God through Jesus or all these other means. And God is all within us. And that's one of the lessons I learned on the other side was God was all around me god was me i was god god was present and fullness and oneness but most of all god was love this pure non-judgmental and that's important because we judge a lot here non-judgmental um, love and in that state i would say that um it was not only that i suddenly had been forgiven for my mistakes it's that they no longer existed Nothing I had done on earth was being weighed or measured, and it simply was just the way my story had played out in this one realm, and I think one of the things we need to really do is lighten up on ourselves about judging ourselves, because on the other side, we're not judged. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: There is no judgment. It's just like I said. It was just how it played out. But we sit here on Earth and we judge our thoughts, we judge our emotions, we judge our behaviors, we get into this uh, stew about it, you know, thinking about, oh, I should have done it this way or that way or the other. And I'm like, take that word should out of your vocabulary, because every time you say that, you're shaming yourself, right? I should have done this or you should have done that. That just shames the person. And that's a very low vibration, as is fear. So, you know, I, I really want people to understand that that's probably one of the most, uh, simplistic, but hardest things to do is to start with themselves and not judge them. And if you don't judge yourself, you know, you're not going to be apt to be judging others. You're going to see that they're coming from a place of, um, where they were judged and you can help them not to judge themselves because it doesn't get anybody anywhere except depressed
0: yeah I have a question for you that space between having the accident and 19 years later recalling what had happened where was your relationship with God at during that period of time I will tell you that my
1: relationship with God prior to the accident was uh, I I started not believing in the God that I was raised with because he wasn't
0: coming through for me. So I did your parents know that that had happened.
1: No, 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 no. (laughs) I did not tell them. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And after that, since I couldn't remember being on the other side I went back to trying to make sense of it in the language of those churches. So Mm -hmm. I would try different churches. I tried all the Protestant churches. I tried Unitarian unity, um, all of these. And uh, I never could find an alignment what felt true to me. Mm. So when I moved to Hawaii, that felt like, walking the beach and being in the ocean and nature and being one with all of those elements, that felt like I am one with God in that sense. So was
0: the move to Hawaii uh, kind of part of a, maybe an unconscious desire to connect with something, maybe yeah. nature, maybe God, but it, it was Um, it was all part of that. It wasn't like you moved for work. It was actually part of your spiritual development. Absolutely.
1: And Hawaii is a very spiritual place. And I think that that was the reason, plus I met my now husband there. Um, I think that was the reason I was brought there because my mother and my father are very uh, much, I will just say religious addicts. And that is one of the hardest relationships to have in terms of addiction because you're having to deal with a God that they are literally uh quoting from the Bible and so right. they use that as the evidence against you and yes. it's it's you can't win It's just I guess yeah. at the bottom yeah. at the end of the day there Gemma it's it's, it's a yeah. loss you know yeah. and so I tried to please them and I got really really sick again um, six years ago. And I, my parents came out and my mother actually accused me of creating my illness because I had a Buddha in the house, statue of a Buddha. And, um, she told me I was not a Christian because I didn't go to church. That's how, um, narrow minded they had gotten in the belief systems of, of the church. And I just was like, you know, and I would make up things to try to please her. I would say, you know, I'm going to the church of the beach. And she said, there's no such place. And I said, you don't need four walls to have a church. You know, I tried to explain this, but they, they don't understand my experience on the other side. They don't understand my experience with, with God. Um, You know, it just is like, we all are these eternal sparks of God, every single one of us, you know, it's just, you know, we're not born in original sin. You can't look at a baby, a beautiful, beautiful baby and go, oh, you're, you're sinning already on your first breath. I'm just like, that's BS. I'm calling it. It's BS, (laughs) you know? And so it's really, and when you, you keep throughout your lifetime being told that you're a sinner and you're bad and you're you need to repent. I mean, that is not what God, in my opinion, intended. He intends us to be to enjoy this world, to be joyful, to have this vibration of joy and light and love. And when you're feeling that way, how in the world are you ever going to be able to uplift yourself to that? You're going to have to look to somebody else or a drug or something to do that for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you said earlier, so your parents were of different, slightly different religions. One was Baptist, one was Lutheran. Tell me about the difference between those. I, I feel like I know something. We, I know we have Baptist churches in the area where I live, but Lutheran, I know nothing about that. So tell me about the difference between them.
1: Okay, so there's there's factions within those denominations. So this is okay. There's Southern Baptists, just like with Lutheran, there's Evangelical Lutheran, Missouri Synod Lutheran. Okay. There's different variations, um, just like in a political party, it can go extreme, moderate, you know, conservative, liberal. So that's kind of in the churches. It's the same way. The Southern Mm -hmm. Baptist Church um, was very much about uh, hell. Fire and brimstone. If you don't follow the Ten Commandments, if you don't mm-hmm. uh do what, you know, it was no dancing, it was no, uh, I mean, they were very uh much about uh following the scripture to uh the letter of the, the T. Right. Yeah. And that if you didn't, if you um didn't accept Jesus, that was probably the key piece, Jesus mm-hmm. as your personal savior. So the only way to God is through Jesus. And and so that has, um, and like my sister is very much of that mindset. She really believes in Jesus. There's a lot of people that do. Mm -hmm. And what I want to say about that is when after my my I have spent so much time reflecting on this. This has been my journey. I do not have children. <laughs> I've got two yeah, little yeah, doggies, yeah. but uh, <laughs> my whole life has been managing my health and trying to to deal with my mental health, uh, my spiritual health, all of this. And I, I will tell you, Jesus to me is a way shower. Mm-hmm. And I look at Jesus as a way to live your life because yeah. Jesus had all this. All this wisdom judge not lest you be judged mm-hmm. and yet i would go to church and these people are judging gay people they're judging queer yeah. people you know and i'm like how hypocritical is that and i mm-hmm. think to me gemma that is one of the one of the things that i would experience in most of these churches was the hypocrisy right. it says one thing and does another i want nothing yeah. to do with that you know yeah so that is the the difference with the baptist the lutheran is more closely aligned with the catholic church so okay. you have martin luther's catechism but they have wow. all the robes and the ceremonies you know the yeah. baptist the baptist church for baptism you have to be older and they dunk you in a a, a tub of water in front of everybody okay. as, as a in the Lutheran church, you're baptized as an infant with the sprinkling. Yeah. You know? So okay. even differences like the baptism and yeah. accept Jesus as your personal okay. savior in the Baptist church, you get baptized, but in the Lutheran church, they want you baptized as an infant in case you die, that you're going to be saved, you know? Right.
0: Okay. okay. Um,
1: and so they follow the teachings of Martin Luther more so and do um, confirmation classes and things like mm-hmm. that that you study that and you know they're not as strict in terms of the rules but they're still the the duality of you know um the bible is the main text and god right. is punitive and judgmental mm-hmm. if you do not do you know live a, a christian life
0: okay does that okay. help Yeah, that helps. Yeah, definitely. Would you say that now, with all of what you've been through, your relationship with God still has Christian foundations? Because I guess the thing is that I'm very aware of um, from, you know, traveling and having a very broad range of people that I've had the pleasure of interacting with over the years, is that I am aware that I'm part of a culture where there is this um, idea of there is one God, the God, and there is his son, Jesus. Um, And so these are like our kind of keynote characters. But actually, if I go to India, then there's about... 70 different gods <laughs> and they've yeah. all got like different jobs and they're all a little bit important in different sorts of ways and then it's like oh well hang on a minute that's a whole other subscription we're talking about here so is your your personal feeling now still rooted in that kind of solitary Christian God that we typically are introduced to in the Western world or have have you expanded your mind and how you think about what God is I have definitely expanded my mind and how
1: God is uh, once I remembered my uh accident and that yeah when that happened then I began my own journey of Mm -hmm. trying to understand by reading different um uh Wayne Dyer, uh, you know, all these different people yes. and their, their concepts and ideas about God before that mm-hmm. I had not gone in that direction. So more metaphysical metaphysics and that kind of thing. And yes. so I studied a lot of that Buddhism and I mm-hmm. started to realize, oh my goodness, you know, what I experienced on the other side was this bright white, light like I was in this cocoon and it was loving and it was safe and it was Mm -hmm. just brilliance and it was colors that are not even in the Crayola color little box (laughs) it it, it was just this uh beauty and brilliance that was Mm. I I can't even imagine, I can't even really describe it, but it was, it was just so beautiful. And I did not want to come back to, Mm. there's no fear there. There's no negativity. There's no, Mm -hmm. uh, remember when you were an alcoholic or any of that, none of that exists on that. That was, that's all like wiped out. And so it's all, it's all positivity and Mm -hmm. it's all beautiful. And so Mm -hmm. Having had that experience, having come back here, I've really had to work on trying to assimilate that in terms of how do I work with the spiritual realm? How do I, what is God, how do I use the word God or source or because I, I do, I know there is nowhere God is not you know yeah. we don't have to send missionaries anywhere because god is everywhere you know so it's all these things that you start realizing man has created a lot of this to keep us in fear and if we're in fear then we can be controlled and that's one of the things about death is most of these religions cause you to fear death if you haven't done your life almost perfectly right yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah and in fear you'd lose your clarity because in fear you're coming out of that part of your brain stem brain stem called the amygdala your fight flight yeah. fear instead of using this part here called your uh, prefrontal cortex which is the rational executive thinking mm-hmm. that makes sense mm-hmm. i can understand that that mm-hmm. just gets hijacked it goes yeah. you know straight to that that amygdala and that's running your life And that's why people have a hard time changing is because they're stuck in a belief system that unless they can understand the root cause of it, they keep getting in a present day situation and get triggered and they go right back to that six-year-old or that 10-year-old and they're right back in that, that feeling state, they're triggered and they act like they did back then instead of being able to clear that and understand, oh, I'm not that six-year-old anymore. I'm a 58-year-old woman, you know, and that is the I reason. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's, that's the hard part about religion is that you get indoctrinated into it at an early age. And yes. around six years old is when developmentally children begin to individuate. So if you're not able to individuate, your parents don't allow you to, you know, no, you can't go run off to the school bus by yourself. I have to be there to walk you, you know, I don't trust you. So um, you're going to church and you're learning about this. They take concepts literally as children. They there's a God uh, person that I'm having a relationship that's sitting up there in the blue sky, but yet he doesn't talk to me, you know, so. I think a lot of kids figure it out early that that's not true, but they have to keep going back every single week and get the same stories. And then after a while, they think it's true because their parents believe it as well and their grandparents believe it. So it's time to awaken and break that cycle because it's not working for people anymore and they're already you know, droves of people have left the church because of that. And because of, you know, the rules of like the Catholic church and the guilt and the shame that was put on people that was never meant to be. That's not who God is, is to to guilt you or shame you. And it's not that God made made this happen to you because you did something wrong. That is just BS, you know? Um, And so my process is still unfolding, but it goes back to more what that little girl is talking about is this energy. And, you know, one of the things is everyone and everything is connected. Mm -hmm. We're not there as a society yet, but from an energetic point of view, that is the truth. And I will tell you, one of the other things that I have struggled with is mental health. And I say that because my parents, when I came out of the hospital after four months, the doctor said to my mother, Nicole needs mental health. She needs uh, a psychiatrist and a psychologist because she has been traumatized. And my mother looked at the doctor and said, well, God and Jesus are our psychiatrist and psychologist and we'll be just fine. Well, I have to tell you, I was not fine, Gemma. I God or Jesus never showed up on my sofa and had a discussion with me, or they never did EMDR, or never did anything. You know, they never gave me uh, anything to work with to help my mental health. So, in response to that trauma, the body has to take over and do something to keep themselves safe. So, what my body did was develop an eating disorder. I had compulsive eating in 1984 and that's back in the time where eating disorders were not very visible in the community and I remember and I talk about this in the book and it's very you know I I hated myself because I had all these scars and you know our culture here is based on how you look a lot of it, you know, beauty and a certain standard of beauty. And I had modeled before and I went back to try to model and they go, no, you've got too many scars. So I was just like hooked into that, uh, being defined by how I looked. No guy will look at me because I have too many scars now on a man. They're proud of their scars. Look at this from a, you know, yeah but as women it's like let me see how I can cover it up or I can you know hide it you know so it's really it was very difficult at age 20 to go into a, a, a college setting where everybody is you know sororities and fraternities and looks are very important so my body's response was to just shove all this food down my mouth because I was in such pain and it took me you know, I will say that my eating disorder finally resolved when I got married. You know it was i I dealt with it at various stages for forty years, but it was in response to the pain I was in because of the hatred I had toward myself, for my dad blaming me, the relationship with my family pretty much blowing up and not you know, thinking I was stupid to get in the car with someone who was drunk. And then the clicker of that is this past uh, May. So a year ago, my roommate from the Air Force Academy quit that following Christmas. She went home for Christmas break and she never came back. Now she'd come to the hospital to see me and I'd stayed in touch with the other two. There were four of us in the squadron and we called her found her on Zoom, set up a call. I mean, found her on Facebook called a a Zoom meeting and hadn't seen her for 38 years, Gemma. And the first thing she says to me is, Nicole, I'm so sorry. And I said, for what, Margaret? She said, I caused the car crash. And I said, what do you mean you caused it? It was the guy that was drunk that caused it, you know? And she said, no, you don't understand. She said, we had agreed that we would go back to the academy together. And when the event was over, you came over to me and said, okay, I'm ready to go with you. Let's get in the car. And I said to you, uh, there's another cadet, he's been drinking, he's drunk. So I'm going to take his car, I'm going to drive it. And I like him a lot. And so uh, I don't want you to come with us because, you know, we may go make out or whatever it is. And so, I said, really? And she said, well, there's one other car left and he's a senior and he's in a Corvette convertible. And she said, why don't you go with him? And I looked over and I said, but he's been drinking. And she said, well, Nicole, they've all been drinking, you know, they've been just having fun. She said, you know, just go with him, have some fun. I'll see you back at the Academy. And she never did. And she never knew that he wanted to stop at a bar. She never knew he was an alcoholic. Neither did I that came out later. And she didn't think, you know, she just didn't think anything would happen. And um, so she couldn't live with the guilt and it haunts her today that she made that decision. And so for 38 years, she has lived with that. And I didn't remember that part. okay, So that's another piece of this for your listeners is communication, with trauma and how you, Remember something and how someone else remembers it because I said, Why didn't you ever tell me this? And she said, Well, I thought you remembered and you were angry at me and you never wanted to talk to me again. I said, Oh my gosh, I've been blaming myself. You're blaming yourself. And the guy that wrecked the car doesn't blame him himself. You know, it's just, it was, it was, it was unbelievable to me that that happened because I kept beating myself up for thinking how could I get in the car with someone who was drunk you know and then he did try to make a sexual pass at me and it got him angry is what I later remembered and he turned the wheel yeah. of the car too fast and it hit a boulder so I struggled with relationships with men and pleasing them because I thought if I got them angry that that I could die again literally Dangerous. yeah yeah, yeah. So these things get imprinted in you and until these memories come through, sometimes you just never can make sense of why you are responding in a certain way, but there is a reason why. And that's what I want to tell people. And when your body feels safe and when you have support, because when you're dealing with trauma, you know, you have got to have a support system. You cannot get through this by yourself. um, That. You need that support. You need to feel safe to be able to process it all. And when you do, your body is ready to let it go. And the body keeps the score. There's a book written by that by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, and he talks about that. And it's amazing to me. You know, my body has kept the score. It took it 20 years to release almost the first memory, and now another 20 for the next one. You know, so it is a process. And, you know, when the doctor wrote back, this is an accurate statement. I didn't need the proof, but someone else was like, you know, how are you, you know, are you making this up? And that's totally what a lot of people experience when you're recalling a memory is they don't believe you. You're just making that up. You know, how would you remember that 40 years later? And I think that's one of the the areas that we need to be more compassionate and considerate with is that this takes time and bodies can only go at the pace that you're able to integrate and align your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, and you may or may not know the answer. What happened to the guy who caused the accident?
1: Well, his dad happened to wear three stars on his shoulder. I happened to pick a guy whose dad was very high up in the military. And he made one call to the superintendent of the United States Air Force Academy and said, I don't care what happens to my son. He's going to graduate. He's a senior. And um, he did. And he was charged by the state of Colorado with vehicular assault and drunk driving. Um, He pleaded guilty and in May of the following year, right before he graduated, they um lifted the sanctions on him, and he was able to graduate and go on and be in the air force
0: Wow, 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 wow,
1: yeah, and I've never had an apology from him, never. I wrote him once asking for that, and yeah. he um he said that he you know anyway he's we i've never never spoken to him since
0: mm-hmm. but he's so- definitely
1: got a lot of issues
0: yeah how have you reconciled that side of things with yourself because it sounds like you've you've more than done the work to be able to uh, make peace with the fact that the accident happened the injuries that you were left with um, the mental health challenges that you were left with the impact that it had on your family and your family relationships, if it were me, I think that's the part that I would struggle with is knowing that, listen, I, I subscribe to the idea that um, if you can take as much responsibility for your own circumstances even if you weren't causing them to be bad if you can take responsibility for what's you know what you're left with it gives you a greater sense of control over your life and um you're just able to feel like you're you're holding the reins much more and uh you're more likely to be at peace and feel more empowered and less of a victim but I also know, if I'm completely honest with myself, that knowing that someone else had caused that accident to happen, I would struggle with reconciling that and having peace with that. Where did you go to around this? Yeah,
1: that that brings up a very good point, is emotions. And that is mm. something that I had to learn and went into neuroemotional t- technique because I was having. Belching signals and my migraines were getting worse. And I finally found a doctor who said, Nicole, this is emotional. This is not coming from anything organic in your body. Um, your stomach in Chinese medicine is, the, it's the earth element and it's this feeling of out of control and loss of self-esteem and nervousness and despair and hopelessness and all of these things that I was truly feeling and, and was the root core of my relationship with my parents, especially it was hopeless. Um, I had no control in this. So I spent eight years, you know, I went and got certified in this and actually did open a practice to help deal I'm a, certain, I'm a dietitian by training because I went into nutrition to try to figure out and cure my eating disorder. And guess what? That didn't work because it wasn't about the food. Yes. <laughs> so then I, then I went into, okay, let's do emotions but because I kind of cut myself off here. I wasn't embodying the emotions and there's a big difference in thinking the emotions. Yes. I'm angry at this guy, okay? I could say that, but my yes. body didn't respond that way. My body couldn't get at the anger because there was a part of me that was still blaming myself. So until I forgave that part of myself, then the anger could start coming up. And I think that it's taken me a long time because in America, we're very emotionally illiterate. We have uh, about four feelings we grow up with, bad, mad, sad, and glad. (laughs) (laughs) but there's this huge buffet of them, but people are not, uh, they don't check in with themselves, you know, to see what is it I'm really feeling, you know, and, and really work with integrating at a body, you know, this embodiment piece that is now being taught more. And, uh, I think that's a lot of where the eating disorders come from as well. You know, you're disconnected from the head and the body, because once it gets in the body is when you truly feel it and can accept it and move on. And so that's where I had to go in order to get to this place of just letting this person be who he is and get on with his life. Nothing's going to change, but me holding anger toward my anybody, my father, uh, my mother, uh, him, it is only a disservice to myself at this point, you know, and I want to be at peace. That's the end game for me is feeling that peace and that harmony. And I have to be able to forgive and to, to not necessarily re-engage with them, but forgive myself and my part. And that, you know, I can't, go back and redo it. It was a lesson clearly that I've learned from. It changed my entire life. I believe I changed my contract in terms of coming in. I believe we all come in with lessons to learn in a contract and that mine was revised in order to get this message out now, not to fear, because if you think about it in order to get, you're not going to make a good decision if you're in fear. You're going to lose your clarity of, of, of the situation yes. and in order to regain your clarity, you got to address those fears and no one wants to address fears. It's hard work. Transforming is hard work, but your fears are mostly irrational. And that's the, that's the hard part to really get is that they're not true. And they come from this, this, um, existence of limiting beliefs so without having these limiting beliefs you're going to be in this state of alignment and alignment is the goal in my opinion um to where we can reach this higher level of clarity and part of that alignment is the emotional part which is dealing with the feelings of uh anger frustration resentment galled uh depression, you know, emotional repression and depression. And a lot of it in my case was I don't want to think about it and I don't want to feel it. Okay. Um, And I had a family that supported that you're walking, you're okay, physically, so you're fine. Get on with life. They didn't, they didn't understand that I was dealing with mental issues. I was dealing with a spiritual conflict and I was dealing with emotional issues, you know, that were causing me great pain and your emotions, you know, they say the issues are in your tissues, right? Have you heard that?
0: No, that's a good one. I'm, I'm
1: gonna borrow that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so you've got to deal. I mean, the Chinese figured this out a long time ago, you know, that the liver is associated with anger and your lungs are grief, you know. And I think in our society today, there's so much that people have not grieved, you know, and lost in, in whatever realm that is. Um, but I would say it has been a journey for me to get to this place. Yeah. And forgiveness, you have to understand it's for yourself. It's not for the other person in that sense. And it does not mean to re-engage with them. It just means I'm so tired of holding this weight of anger and to understand that it all had a role in my life here and what I've learned and i've learned so much from this crash i'm so grateful to have been able to come back and function at the level i do and the reason you know i wrote this book it took me 13 years you know because i used to work at the cdc in atlanta the disease detectives and so i wrote in a scientific way which is much different than writing a book for the general public okay yes. <laughs> no one that i know in the general public Likes to uh, read a scientific <laughs> review article. You know, nobody. Um, so I wrote this. First of all, it helped to heal me to write it. Okay. And that's where journaling, I think, helps people. And one yeah. good question to ask if you journal is what does my soul want to tell me today? Because mm. a relationship with your soul is so important because that's the piece that goes on. And most people. Yeah don't even know what their soul is. I mean, I grew up in the South and it was soul food and it was soul music. And all I know is your soul would go to hell, you know, but understanding what your soul is. And that's that, that perfect part of you, you know, that you are perfect, that you are loved more than you can imagine, you know, and we have forgotten that because of all the different filters we get raised with. But I did write this book to help with your fears about death because more people are choosing to leave the planet now and i believe more will choose to continue to leave the planet we are in such a um conflict state right now and i think you need to be prepared for death because none of us are guaranteed that we're going to live even t- to tomorrow i certainly didn't think i was going to die at 19 you know and then in america we Uh, don't even get me started on our gun laws, but we have massacres almost daily. And, you know, this latest one, these people are going shopping in an outlet mall and, you know, eight or nine of them don't ever come home all ages. And and I think you have to, um, part of this preparation is talking about it with one another. And that's why in my book, I really want book clubs to pick it up so that you talk as a group about death, what your concept is, what you believe, have you talked to your family about it, to to start talking about it and to start understanding that we're all facing it, you know? So hopefully it will help you through your fears. There's a fear checklist as well. Um, I hope it will support you through the loss of loved ones to understand that you will see them again. we will see loved ones and others when we return, quote, home. Um, and I hope this book inspires you, um, all of you out there, to live fully. Because if you're fearing death, you're not going to truly live. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean freely. To open up your heart and your hands as wide as possible. And to realize we're all connected and Love truly is the most important thing, but loving yourself is where it has to start.
0: What would you say is the relationship between love and peace?
1: Good question. Peace is a state of contentment to me is I'm at a neutrality point. I'm at peace with my parents. Okay. Um, when they pass, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to regret anything. I'm at a, a yeah. So a state of, of neutrality where I'm not getting triggered one way or the other with someone yeah. else's action. Okay. Um, love. I love, I lived in Hawaii for 17 years. Aloha. is yeah. Means more than just love. It is, you know, I love the spirit of the aloha, because it's about collaboration, and not competition. And it's about love and hello, and all it's just a wonderful world of embrace a word of embracement. But yeah, yeah. love is not only a noun and a verb. Uh, an emotion, but I think the energy of love and you feel that coming off of people that have unconditional love, like the Dalai Lama, you know, certain people that really have attuned their vibration to such a high level that they're not judging you. They, They see you for who you are. They listen to you. They don't judge you. You know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, it's those uh, pieces of unconditional love that most of us never got.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. And I'm super curious as well, because from all of what you've said and my impression of Hawaii, it sounds like it was such a good fit for you to have been there for that period of time that you were. What on earth has made you move?
1: Oh, the cost of living is one. Uh, Hawaii. I'm in North Carolina, so it's about a 40% difference in cost of living. So we were, able, we were able to buy a house here, um, yeah. uh, whereas in Hawaii, we the amount of rent we were paying in Hawaii, um, yeah. our mortgage here is lower than what we were paying for a rental that didn't even have... Uh, central air condition. You know, the, the prices are just so high. You have multiple families living under one roof because of that. And um, everybody wants to own a car because that's about all you can afford or look to afford. So you have uh, you know, a million people on the island of Oahu, where Hawaii, where Honolulu is. But you have 1.2 million cars because everybody wants their own car or two cars. You know? So traffic is is extremely challenging, very, uh, but it's mainly the cost of living and you're so far from everything. And I think that's part of what allows you to heal there. A lot of people go there to hear there's, you know, the closest is a five hour plane ride to San Francisco or to California, the closest mainland. Um, but the expense is probably the number one. I'm grateful for my time there, but I'm just glad to have moved on to North Carolina, which incidentally, I was born 30 miles away at Camp Lejeune at a Marine Corps base. So I've literally come geographically 360 degrees. i never thought I would live in New Bern. Um, So I think the universe has a... a, um, a mystical and just magical way of bringing you around to who you truly are and that's the goal is i think for all of us is you know that come back to the being that you were born to be because we forget who we truly are which are these magnificent loving light uh perfect beings and you know in the spiritual realm there's just There's no, um, you know, we focus so much on our bodies here and looking good and this kind of stuff. And it doesn't matter once, you know, if you go to a funeral and you see a corpse or a dead body, that person, I don't care how good the cosmetologist is it never looks like aunt martha or the person you know and that's because their life force energy is not in them anymore that force that animated them and made them who they truly are that's the piece i want people to remember
0: yes yeah of course what is there still for you to learn like what are the missing pieces (laughs) of your journey
1: oh my gosh i just got one today uh you know, and that's truly this lesson of um for you know of forgiving my father for being the type of person he was he wasn't the he wasn't a father that was a loving, nurturing kind person, and yeah. you know to to not um, is is to see him for who he is, not that he's going to change, but to let go of holding my anger toward him for still being. Like when I told him about the 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 event with my um, roommate, you know, he said to me, "Well, you still made a bad decision. You should have walked back to the academy." And I was just like, excuse my language, but you know." So I'm still, you know, it's like I haven't talked to him since then, and I and I and I won't. But it's it's going. That's who he really is, Nicole. And you know, in the spirit realm, that's not who he is you know, and so dialoguing, I guess, more in that realm, and letting go of the human realm of how he is and how he's treated me and going, okay, I don't have to put up with this anymore. I'm, I, you know, I still trying to be that good daughter, um, the fourth commandment, love thy parents, you know, until the days of whatever it is, I've actually forgotten it. Wait a minute. Honor thy mother and father until the the days, you know, and, and, but the thing is if you have narcissistic parents or toxic parents or whatever, you know, you can love their true spirit, not the circumstances and the environment that cause them to become the human that they are.
0: Does that make yeah. sense? I think it does. Do you ever um imagine or maybe meditate on the idea of having a conversation with that spirit side of him and like mm-hmm. what would that be like? You know what how do you imagine that going? when it's kind of like all of, his, all of his judgments are out of the way and um, all of his assumptions are out of the, the way? Who do you see him being then?
1: Uh, I did that with my mother and you're, uh, that's an, you're helping me with my next step. I need to do that with my father, but yeah. I did do it with my mother and it was beautiful and mm-hmm. I saw her spirit. And I saw who she really was. And she it was born in Ukraine, has been through World War II. She's had all this trauma. And, and so is my father. And that's another lesson before I go back to this. Your parents need to have cleared and worked on their traumas. And if they don't, they are still wounded and they cannot help support you with your trauma because their attitude is just get over it. I had to. I did it. So that is very important. Something that I realized is my parents never got help for any of their horrific traumas, you know? So that they, when you do the work, you have compassion, you have empathy, you have sympathy. And that's why I put, you know, on my book, one of my credentials is BTDT, been there, done that. And out of all the letters, (laughs) out of all the letters of the alphabet, to me, that is the most important that someone has, I've I've had an eating disorder. I know what that feels like. I can help you. You know, I've been to the other side. You don't need to go there to learn these lessons, you know, but my mother, I did this with her. uh, I think it was a, a couple of years ago. I talked to her spirit and I just pulled her up and I pulled up mainly her eyes and her her nose because that was the her face facial features because that's the piece that I felt I could really see through and once again back to the eyes being the window of the yes. soul and I just told her you know mom I I just need you to know how much you hurt me when you told me that I wasn't a Christian you were judging me because you know I had a Buddha and all this stuff and how hurt I'd been and how I much I loved you When you took care of me and then you abandoned me and then you sided with dad, all of these things that I had. And, you know, and then I heard from uh, in the meditation, she said, Nicole, I'm so sorry. That wasn't who I truly am. She said, you know, I love you and I've always loved you for who you are. And I'm so sorry I couldn't see that and help you while I was still in a in a human form she said I just wasn't capable of it and uh I was so aligned with your father and not wanting to lose him um that I couldn't see past any of if he said to do this I did it
0: right right
1: so yeah yeah so it was beautiful and it really helped me see that it wasn't the earthly physical uh human form of my mother and how she's acting out Her spirit genuinely does and still does love me. And I know my father's is like that. I just haven't had that conversation yet. But thank you. You're helping me. I need to do that. And it was, and it really did heal it. it. You know, I don't feel that way toward my mother at all. I still have a bit of anger toward my father. And I think it was just from his last... Same, same. He hasn't changed. You should have walked. Well, uh, that was back in 83 when we didn't have cell phones and it was pitch dark and a bear could have eaten me or, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah. So on the note of healing, is there anything specific that you think is a good vehicle for healing?
1: First of all, I want to tell people healing is not linear. Just because you do A plus B doesn't mean C is going to happen. You're usually going to go off into D. I think from I've had migraines for for almost 40 years now. I have tried everything, but I know deep down in my core, it's been anger I've been holding on to. It's been stress. Uh, you know, it's it's been an emotional, spiritual combination that causes them when I get stressed. And so I still am, they're getting much, much better. Um, I'm delighted to say, but I believe a lot of these uh, uh, illnesses that we are getting hmm. that don't have an organic reason are, yes. are it it's, it's has to do with lifestyle, environment, and um, your spiritual, emotional issues you're not dealing with. So I think from an emotional perspective, there are lots of modalities now out there to help people. Um, There's techniques coming on board, you know, every day, including, you know, for PTSD, the use of um, um, uh, psychedelics. you know, and not not promoting that, but they are looking at that, Um, you know, there's, Acupuncture, there's all kinds of different uh in NET is the one I use because it's not invasive, but it gets at the unconscious. Uh, there's emotional code, there's uh there's tapping, there's all kinds of things that that people are doing. Um, not one thing works to me like this is it. It's yeah. Yeah. because it's holistic and that's why it's a wellness wheel. You have to look at your diet, you have to look at your your um the physical components you have to address the mental you know and the stressors that you're under because stress is uh the number one reason people end up in the er you know uh is because of a stressor and you have to deal with um your emotions you know they're going to sit in your body until you deal with them and if you don't you're gonna they're gonna come out in different ways physically and it usually is not a pretty scene um and there are things you don't want to address like well I I don't want to hurt my mother you know well you may need to tell her something that's going to hurt her and she needs to sit with those feelings you know but you were taught not to hurt your mother you know so it it's things like that and um and then of course the spiritual realm and that is what is your concept of something greater than yourself. If you believe that, how do you relate to that in your life on a daily basis? How do you connect? There's a whole spiritual realm of angels and spirit guides that, that can help you. And that's what I get excited about now is I found that I do have guides on the other side to help me and connect with them. And they are showing me different things show up for me, you know, and I don't have to worry about how to do something now. Things just come to me and um, I'm just amazed. And it just validates that, you know, that realm is working on our behalf. They really are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's so beautiful as well that you have such conviction and certainty in what you're saying when you're talking about that spiritual side of yourself it sounds like um it's it sounds like it's more than belief it sounds like you feel that you've had the experiences that have really validated this in almost in the real world in some sense as well
1: Yes, and I have. And I think experience is what changes people the most. You know, we can talk about things, but unless somebody has that experience, hence they're done that, you know, we can try to share that experience, strength, and hope with somebody. Um, but it usually takes the experience of the person themselves to really get the message. And sometimes they don't get it, you know. Um But that is why I feel so strong is because I didn't have one NDE. I had two and then an out-of-body experience. I tried to leave here several times because I did not want (laughs) to stay. And my angel James was just like, you have an important mission. You know, you really do. This is, you know, a country that's a world that's filled with fear. And so many different religions have different views on death. But, you know, we will all die at some point. And if you can let go and be receptive and and, uh, in the receiving mode of it, it's going to be a much easier transition.
0: Yeah, yeah. Instead of resistance. Yes, oh yeah, absolutely. Do you think that there's, aside from a near-death experience, which I'm looking to avoid if I'm completely honest. So (laughs) is there any ways that you have found effective or other people have reported to you as being effective in being able to tap into that spiritual side of oneself? Yeah, I
1: I think, first of all, the dialoguing, like I said, in your journal, you know, what is it that my soul wants to tell me and, Mm -hmm. you know, to apps and energy medicine also is a wonderful tool to help you clear, um, energy that's not yours a lot of us that are impasse especially and sensitives pick up other people's energy and so you need to make sure that you are constantly clearing your energy and it can be something as simple as please remove all emotions and energies that are not mine there they go you know, because if you're carrying someone else's energy, you're not, or in and emotions, you're not processing your own emotions. You're processing yeah. theirs. So yeah. to make sure that that part of yourself is clear, and then before you go to sleep at night, ask for your angels to give you some kind of evidence. What is it that you want to know? Is it their name? Is it their whatever that you want to establish a relationship? And it's as simple as that. And then open-minded and it may not look like you think it's going to look, you know, to what that could be. And I think, you know, starting there is a wonderful place. And then there's lots of uh, YouTubes with how to connect to guides, how to connect to you know, angels from all different sources, Um, you know, if you find one that you want to listen to, and it really helps you, there's usually meditations that take you into this realm. And a lot of it has to do, almost all of it has to do with your breathing as well. You need to be able, because the breath is what leaves us, right? That's the soul. So when you are breathing, especially that deep breath, you are connecting to that soul instead of just being that shallow breath. Yeah, yeah. That,
0: does that help? Yeah, it does. Definitely. And and I'll just tell a very quick story here. So um, my mum passed away uh, October 2021. So a, a while ago now, um, and she's had a very traumatic brain disease that had uh, lasted for far too long, really. So it was an unpleasant, Um, Length of time, but also a very unpleasant shutting down of her body, and I'd made a promise that I would be there until the very, very end, which I was, and at the very, very end, um, so she she was laying in bed, and she had very labored breathing. And it was clear that she was going to be leaving soon, but for whatever reason she wasn't going. So I was making all these promises to sort of, you know, tie up any loose ends, like, I'll oh, get married, okay? I'll do whatever you need me to do. You just gotta go. <laughs> it's like saying all this stuff just to kind of like, come on now. No. Um, and uh, when when the moment came, she so she'd been laying for months by this point you know she hadn't walked in a very long time she hadn't really sat up independently in uh, probably a couple of years and um, but in this final moment she completely sat up independently which I'll say was terrifying because it was kind of you know it was almost like seeing a, a dead body lifting itself and she wasn't even gone yet um and then she took this very deep breath and looked towards me and went <sighs> like this and so as well as being in you know traumatized state I had the experience of her literally blowing her soul at my face at the moment that she left and it was um it was the most peculiar experience I think I've ever had in my life and I just didn't expect that Uh, You know, I I have a very good yoga teacher. She's very spiritual. And she talks to me a lot about the breath and how, you know, the breath um, houses the soul, the soul is in the breath. Um, And I spoke with her about the experience. And she said, yeah, that that was her soul leaving her body in that moment. She just happened to blow it in your face as it went. Um, And it was just a very bizarre experience. (laughs) And I would say to you, her
1: soul blowing at you was try to remember her in the spirit form, not in that human form. Yes, that's
0: a nice message. Yes, yeah, that's a nice way to think about it, definitely.
1: And I think that's what's, if you're with somebody at the end, they do amazing things. I mean, a lot of them will be grabbing, and yeah. that they're in the veil between this realm and the spiritual realm is very thin and yes. so they are seeing they're going back and forth through the realms and people saying yeah. oh they're on their morphine or no they're really seeing their deceased loved one or their angels or their pets yeah. because those are coming into them as they are getting yes. ready to move they do not yes. leave alone you no. are not alone it's a spiritual yeah. problem, but it's still alive. And so yes. I won't know that as well. You're never alone. Yeah. Make sure your whole family is on board with wills and all that kind of stuff. Because if you're not, I have seen so many families absolutely fall apart. The tension, the anger, the the betrayal, the judgment. You get this, it's, I didn't get that, you know. And in the end, none of that really matters. You know, absolutely. it was just and, 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 and I, I get the
0: sense that um dying for the person that's dying is actually relatively straightforward and as you've experienced quite lovely on the other side I think where a lot of our fear has come from is not knowing that peace exists and only having experience of I feel grief I feel loss I'm having complications with the family that are left over that I'm now dealing with on the other side. And so I think that's where a lot of our negativity towards the idea of death probably comes from. And I think that's why it's so important. Yes, we're human and we have those feelings, but to remember
1: we're spiritual and that's Mm. the biggest part of us. And the greater cosmic context is not about these, who gets the ring and who gets the money, all of that. It's it's the fact that, okay, she's gone on. She's at peace, you know, um, and how can we be at peace in, yes. in, in dealing with these remains, you know, and it's a challenge. I'm not going to say it's not. It is yeah. a challenge because you're working with different personalities, but how can you keep yourself grounded, whether it's with crystals, whatever you need to stay grounded, yes. your breath work. And you keep yourself in alignment and not get caught up in the trauma and drama of all of that other stuff. Because in the end, in the very, very end, it really doesn't matter how many people are really using their mother's fine china these days.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. their silver <laughs> set, you know. Yeah. Nobody, nobody <laughs> even wants it. We just yeah, had yeah. We, we just had
1: a, a couple across the street, both of them passed from cancer in their their late 60s. And put the entire the sister one sister came and took half the house but there was all this stuff left nobody wanted it in the family they Mm -hmm. had this state sale. everything went and and there was stuff in there i was like oh my gosh why would you know somebody not want this but it's just stuff and i think you realize that you know um we have to just don't get attached and i think a lot of us are attached still to this piece represents my mother or whatever, instead of the the memory and the spirit and knowing that you can talk to her spirit at any point, you know, that that is always available to you. And that's more important than a ring.
0: Yes, yeah, 100%. Nicole, where can people find your book, find you? How do people reach you from this point moving forward?
1: I, my website is www.nicolekirk.com and on there, I have a lot of podcasts. If you go to the media section, if you want to listen to some of the podcasts, and this will be up there as well. Um, I have blogs that I've written. So the last latest blog is on the second NDE that came from my trigger with the um, turbulence in an airplane Um, and that coming back to me and my doctor surgeon validating that. Um, my book you are deathless here's the cover of it Um, it's available in paperback and in hardcover and it's also available on audible I just finished the audio version of it I narrated it myself which was a trip let me tell you Gemma it's one thing to write your own book it's another thing to to voice use your throat chakra to voice your own story and then to have to hear it you know I'm Um, like that's when it hit me. That's really me. I've really been through that. And that's when I really gave myself compassion over what I've been through in my life before I was still Pretty hard on myself to be honest with you um so it's on audible i'm on facebook i'm on instagram and i'm on linkedin under nicole angelique kerr or nicole a. Kerr, you can find me um those are the only three platforms i use because i'm a one-person show here and i can't keep up with everything else but you can connect with me through my um my website there's a contact page there and i'd be happy to send you you know the first chapter for free if you want uh, to, to see that you can also go on I put all the images in the book on my website so if you want to see the car crash and all of that you can just go on there and look as well and for those reading uh, listening to the audio it'll yes. say image and now you go to the website and you can see the image so um, that's how you can find me I'm in New Bern North Carolina so if you ever come to North Carolina and look up New Bern you'll you'll find me here
0: amazing I might do that one day, you know.
1: <laughs> I'd love to have you. I would love to have you.
0: <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today, and I feel like, even though I would say um, I'm not a particularly spiritual person, I guess in in a traditional sort of a sense, and I haven't been brought up in religion, um, I found this conversation uh, fascinating. I think it was enlightening, and I. I think it's impossible to not take so much positivity from what you're sharing. And I wish you every success in your mission to help people feel and be at peace with the end when it comes and living a happy, peaceful life up until the point that it happens. Thank you. You
1: just ended it
0: beautifully. You are, <laughs> you're
1: delightful. You are
0: just delightful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for talking to me today. You're welcome. Take care. All right. What did you think? As usual, there are a few gems in there for me. Um, one of which was, what was it Nicole said? Um, that when she was in that healing stage originally, before she'd started to explore other modalities, she talked about sort of going back to her original faiths that she was brought up in and she said uh, she was going back to the language that she knew in order to process what had happened and I thought that that was really poignant because I feel that that's probably something that everybody does that you're going to go back to a way of communicating that has familiarity and comfort in times of stress and struggle and for me as a therapist that is something that um, I want to be really mindful of now sort of taking that into the work that I'm doing with people Um, she also expressed how when you go to the other side your problems are not weighed or measured and there is no judging and no shaming and so that is not something that we need to be carrying with us now, either. It's almost like it's almost like doing so is a waste of the precious life that you've got whilst you're here and i i've I thought as well that something she said around religion now you will have heard me say in the podcast, I'm not a religious person, um I was not brought up in religion. Um, I'll be honest sometimes I kind of feel like I don't know a bit jealous of my friends who are very religious because they have some there's something in that around you know connection and community and support um, and singing (laughs) maybe Uh, because um, yeah I I think there's something quite beautiful in that however there's lots of bits to religion that I uh do not find comfortable and that's probably what's kept me outside of it to be honest although I'm I'm interested in it um and what Nicole said is that religion controls you by teaching you to fear death and that's interesting I don't think that's true in all religions um However, I would say probably for the majority of Christian faiths that, that sounds like it could be true because it's like you can't um, get to where, you know, that you can't get to heaven if you're taking all of your mistakes with you. You need to correct all of that because otherwise the doors are not going to open for you. You're going somewhere really bad instead. What she added to that is if you are fearing death, you will never truly live. And I think that that's a super important message regardless of the religion part if you're fearing death you're never truly going to live and we want to live whilst we're here right it sounded to me like faith is still massively important to Nicole but she has something a bit more concrete about it now because it's it's based on how it's helped to heal her so it's it feels like it's had a more positive purpose in her life recently and some of that too has come from her own open-mindedness in respect of the various different modalities that are available to you in order to heal from trauma that there is no one size fits all there is no uh, magic cure be it in psychology psychotherapy neurolinguistic programming cbt dbt or anything else you have to find the thing that's the right fit for you in order to fully recover and i feel that she is still a work in progress aren't we all um and that it's her acceptance of that that is really give it seems like I don't know where this woman's life source comes from but for someone who's been so through so much she just struck me as someone who is full of life and zest and energy and I like to whenever I sort of you know edit the podcast and rewatch it back afterwards I always like to sort of latch on to one or two things about the conversation or the person where I can go yeah like that I want to be like that I'm going to model that I'm going to apply that to myself um with Sarah Im for example it was her ability to overcome what I think was one of the worst traumatic events that's ever that could ever happen to a human being and she lived to tell the tale so she taught me something about um you know what my problems are really not real problems in the grand scheme of things when I spoke to David Richman I really appreciated his story about perseverance and the thing that really struck me with him was that he just wasn't someone who was planning on slowing down anytime soon and I really um I really respected that because I often hear that I need to slow down and I'm doing too much and when are you going to take a break and blah 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 um and uh and and I've often sort of been left wondering yeah what's wrong with me (laughs) why am I why am I not just like chilling out and watching Netflix every evening, why am I doing another course? Or you know, that kind of thing. And speaking to him and he was like, no, just like keep doing stuff, like keep living life. So I, um, yeah, I, I really got that from him. And for every single guest I have had this year, there has been something where I reflect on the conversation afterwards Um, or I've gone through the editing process and I just think like wow like that's that's a thing that's a thing to aim for that's a way to be in life and so for Nicole the thing that I personally got from that conversation with her is just like be that light be that brightness bring that to the party. Uh, regardless of your circumstances because it sure as shit does something great for all of the people that are interacting with her and I reckon it's probably been a big part of what's helped her heal to the unbelievable degree that she has managed to do in her life so yes I thought this was a cracking one. What did you all think? If you enjoyed this video, give it a thumbs up. If you were listening on a podcasting platform, uh, make sure you go along ideally to iTunes, review the show, give it a few stars, um, make a comment and share it with a friend. You know, if you think there was something good in here, share it with someone else who you think might enjoy what was in here too. But that is it from me for uh, 2023. So I hope you've all had a wonderful year and I look forward to speaking to you all again in the next one, bye. People Building Podcast was produced and edited by Gemma Bailey. You can find out more information about our products and services on peoplebuilding.co.uk where you can also join in the conversation around specific episodes. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. It should not be considered professional advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, we do not endorse, approve, recommend or certify any information product process, service or organisation that is presented within the podcast and information from this podcast should not be referenced